All right, here we are, Memory Tracks, episode number 50. 50. 50, fucking 50. Amazing. Um, I'm, I'm excited for that, um, disappointed for that, because I thought I would be a lot farther along, and then, as I mentioned in the last episode, took a really long hiatus. Uh, but I'm really grateful for you to be number 50, because, uh, you know, I, over the this kind of long absence, I've had people mention, like, oh, you should, are you still doing the podcast, blah, blah, blah. You were really the most tenacious person through that uh, and kind of the, like, convincing factor to get that going and, and actually try to figure out, like, what episode should I do next? Um, so I'd love to welcome my first guest for, well, God, so out of practice, my only guest for this episode, um, as usual, but that's my good friend Frank Burns. Say hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I wanted to be on episode 100, but I got impatient because of that hiatus. Oh, I was like, we got to do something here. <laughs> yeah, my, my track record, I went from like three or four a month to like one a year. <laughs> sort of, well, technically, yeah, now that'll be two a year until we keep that going. Yeah, um, but I think I have up. another one scheduled for next week, perhaps. Got to iron out a few details. Um, but yeah, we're starting to make some good progress and get that going. But uh, super appreciative to you to like getting me jump started again. Uh, no problem, man. I, I love the, uh, the format, you know, yeah. it's right up my alley. I love stories and I love songs. So it was exciting to pick out my songs. I'm excited yeah. to talk about those. Um, excited about like, you know, challenging myself a little bit because yeah. these are ones that I've been, you know, I've known them forever. I guess a lot of people will say, okay, this song's been in my life for 20 or 30 years, but like, right. What do I really want to say about it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, you say that because when I think about, like, you know, and I always try to kind of, like, reflect on how I know each person um, in the episode and whatnot. And uh, you've, since I first started, have always kind of really been complimentary of the podcast and whatnot, music. And uh, when I think about, like, our relationship, how we met, it's through music, sort of. But at the same time, I actually don't, have like a musical relationship with you in that sense and what I mean by that is like when I met you through your wife um, at uh, South by Southwest she was we were volunteering on the same crew in God probably like 2006 or something right and you mentioned in the last episode that this was early days in Austin for you right because yes. it's like your first or second year yeah. in university and that's what brought you here mm-hmm. and it was also the first or second year that Vicky and I lived here so we're on a very similar oh no way weird timeline I, I never realized that um, of huh. moving to Austin being like music junkies and South South by Southwest yeah. junkies and she's a teacher so she has spring breaks off so right. she could uh volunteer yeah and she's like yeah my my boss at this volunteer thing is like yeah. a college kid um <laughs> which is you know you were 21 and we were 31 yeah um and then i remember do you know this this party with the puppets can i tell this story oh. it's it's good it's good <laughs> i totally forgot so um <clears throat> she's volunteering for you for a week yeah and well into the week, you know, you've, you've picked up on the fact I'm that so she's... I'm so glad, by the way, that this is about to be documented. <laughs> you picked up on the fact that she's a super hip lady, you know, from East Coast, used, yeah. used to live in the UK. She loves music. She's going out every night during South By, and you've just neglected to ask about age. Yeah. So somewhere in there, she says, well, I'm a teacher. And you're like, what? You're just assuming she's another student or some other kind of Austin right. hippie bum. You're a professional person? And she's like, well, sure, I teach high school. And you're like, you're a high school teacher? She goes, wait a minute, how old are you? And she said, like, I'm 31. And you went, what? Oh my you're, God. Like, you're 31. You're a total adult. 
And she said, yeah, I am. And, and then, I, you know, she didn't back away from it. So you, later in that week when you said, we're having a party at my apartment and a cool thing is happening because this band that's <laughs> staying with us is going to perform. And, uh, you know, they're a German hip hop group that communicates through puppets called Puppet Masters with a Z. That's right. And, um, and Vicky said, gosh, my husband and I would love to go see Puppet Masters at your party. <laughs> and you, like, without missing a beat, you go, it would be so cool to have a 30-year-old at our party. Oh, my God. So, so when cool. we got to your party, I mean, we showed up with, like, we showed up with, like, our six-pack of Lone Star yeah. and our cool hipster clothes yeah. on. Like, we could still hang at 31. Yeah. And you were just like, guys, guys, there's 30-year-olds at this party. You got to talk to them. But uh, my final quote from that story is, uh, I was talking to some people at the party. And I was surprised how co-ed it was. Like, there yeah. were a lot of men and women. Mm. And that might have just been your crew. That might have been who you lived with. But yeah. it was antecedent to my college experience because we used to just hang out a lot of guys, and it was very difficult for us to... Yeah. <laughs> we had some female friends, <laughs> but it was like... We weren't, we weren't frat boys. We didn't go to parties to, to meet with the other, the other yeah. gender. Yeah. And so I'm talking to a dude in the hallway of your house, and I go, there's a lot of girls at this party compared to when <laughs> I was in college. And he goes, hey, if you want girls, you got to get puppets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish I knew who that was. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, well, so the the version that I recollect from that story, that's that's phenomenal. I don't think we've ever actually talked about that. Um, so I actually didn't live there. It wasn't my party. Uh, I was a tagger on, it was uh, the infamous Whitest House. Um, and so when I was at UT, I was part of this like music group, which I've had several guests on the podcast in the past who I met through this music group. Um, and, uh, the, we basically like were part of the student body that would get budget that was siphoned off of tuition essentially, um, to bring cultural programs to the university across different interests. So there was like cultural committees, like ethnic cultural committees or, um, you know, film culture committees or distinguished speakers, culture committees, or, um, in our case, music culture. Uh, and so we had like a budget to bring artists university oh, okay. um ended up being like you know the most important part of my college experience and joining that i spent most of my time with those people and doing things with that um, and one of my like early friends and mentors from that was this guy jack uh who was the chairman of the committee when i was a freshman i think yeah um and uh he had this really good group of friends that um, eventually all moved into this big house together called the Whitest House is what we called it. It was on Whitest Street, kind of like across from the um, uh, Scottish Rite mm-hmm. um, dorm. And they, it was just like probably it was two stories, you know, essentially a frat house without the implications being a frat house. Um, and it's like, I think maybe like 10 to 12 dudes that all lived there many of which were really close and um, I'm trying to think, of, I don't think I've actually had any Whitest House residents on the podcast, but plenty of candidates for that that I'd love to get on. Um, and they were just super fucking cool uh, and just good people and, you know, welcoming of everybody. Uh, and they also threw really rad parties. Uh, and they had like a backyard with like the fence that would swing open to then evacuate when the cops inevitably shut the party down. Like, you know, that that element was always there and incorporated. Um and yeah, they had, uh, Jack was actually when I first signed up for South by Southwest, who's the only person I knew that also did that at the same time. So he kind of like showed me the ropes to that. But I think that second year was the year of the Puppet Mastas, and that's when they were actually in the Whitest House. And 
yeah, they, they like you, there's this program with South by where you can, um, volunteer to host an international band for free. And for every person that lives in the place that's hosting, you get like a free wristband, which is like at the time was probably $125 value today is probably like 250 or something. But with the wristband, you can get into all the shows and whatnot. So, you know, you're, you're broke college kids, like dream, uh, especially for music fans, like most of the White House was. And so they hosted this band called the Puppet Masters that was like a group of Germans um, that most of them could only speak German. Um, you know, it's probably like their manager was with them, who's kind of like the translator. And I can't really tell the full extent of the story because, again, I, I didn't actually live there. It wasn't, my, it wasn't truly my party. If I told you that, I was probably just trying to seem cool. Um, no, I, prob- I probably <laughs> misinterpreted it, you know what I mean? But uh, <clears throat> that party was fucking nuts. And I remember, like, they had this front living room and they set up, like, the puppet wall. And we're going really deep for this intro. This is good, though. I love it. Um, and there, it was basically this blanket that they had, like, positioned. Everybody crowded in. There were, like, literally people crawling through the windows to get in. It was probably it was probably one of the most dangerous situations I'd ever been in, in terms of everybody stuffed in as, like, hot as hell. And if something bad had happened, like, we would have all been done for. Um, and I remember, like, basically... You know, the, the curtain was probably seven feet tall. And then, like, the show started and they, like, queued up their DJ and whatnot. And then, like, a Yoda puppet comes out. And, like, Yoda's like, we're about to introduce the puppet masters. <laughs> and, you know, they're all, like, speaking broken German English and rapping in some They were pretty good, though. Bro- like, they were, they, were, they were okay MCs. It was... The beats were okay. Yeah. And the whole nuts. crowd was going crazy because they're was, like, what am I watching? It was nuts. Yeah. And people went fucking crazy because it was so different. Like, I mean, probably, I'd argue one of the top South by Southwest parties of all time. It's definitely unofficial. <laughs> there was nothing official about it. Um, and, and it was it was that spirit that it, I think both of us miss about, about yes. living here of just weirdness, yes. discovery. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, you know, back to the podcast, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the notion of how you discover things is definitely going to be in all three of my stories. Awesome. Um, yeah. And weirdness. You know, when I think back on my favorite songs, I know a lot of people bring very popular things because, you know, you're eight years old and you heard a popular thing. Of course, right. And I could have done that too. Yeah. But I've got some weird tastes too. So yeah. I brought you a couple I, of weird ones. I wasn't familiar with any of the songs and I only knew one of the artists. So I'm excited for it. I did a little bit of research, of course, beforehand. Um, and, you know, I think that it's... I'm looking forward to it because we've become friends over the years. Um, we kind of work in similar spaces and whatnot and have some connections there. Uh, but music is probably one of the most important things to me. So it's really nice to be able to share a connection beyond the Puppet Masters. <laughs> Our favorite <laughs> shared band. Uh, and be able to look back on that. So I'm, uh, I'm really stoked. Um, God, I can't believe I said stoked. It's a terrible word. Uh, <laughs> But I am. And yeah. so should we kick it off with the first track? Yeah, that sounds right. good. So this first track is going to be called Pablo and Dub. Oh, and it is by Augustus Pablo. Here we go. Thank you. 
oh my god <laughs> my heart gets bigger and i feel yeah. goosebumps and Pop on I, up. I could cry like i hopefully we can figure out why, why? that has that effect on me uh, yeah um, so okay i i didn't know augustus pablo uh researching i've been listening to the song this is the only song i've ever heard from him researching it it sounds like he basically is the pioneer of dub music Jamaican well, dub, roots, reggae. You know, specifically that toy instrument he's playing, the, the melodica. The melodica. Um, so, you know, the two big producers in dub in the 70s were uh, Lee Scratch Perry right. and King Tubby. Yes. Um, this album, I think, might be a different sort of studio band. Okay. But, um, you know, on all those Tubby records and all those Scratch records, the melodica is Pablo. And then there are records where, you know, it's an Augustus Pablo record, but it's like the same studio band. And then there'll be yeah. another one where it's a King Tubby record or like a Family Man Brown record. Um, <clears throat> it's still the same group of Jamaican studio musicians okay. ma- making dub Same dub music. world, same planet, right. but the lesser known right. stamp and, on it. Um, yeah, yeah I, I know quite a bit about it, which will, which will get me into my story a bit. But yeah, uh, yeah this is his first album. Yeah. And uh, it's like a B-side track. It's nothing special. So if you were to go out and buy... Pablo's greatest hits. It wouldn't be on there if you were. What like what's the era of this? Do you know like seventies? Uh, seventies. Okay. Maybe early seventies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and dub, as you know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the dub sound. Right. It tends to be a remix of an existing hit record, mm-hmm. and then maybe there's a new track of somebody rapping over it or something, uh, toasting over it. Yeah. Um, but some of these records, there's actually a studio band recording it, and they put all those same effects on it with sort of the flange and the delay and the echo. Yeah. Um, but in the case of Pablo, instead of going and getting a, a toaster, which is a rapper, or just playing with the vocals, they'll take this existing like three chord thingy and get him to play this uh, melodica forced wind <laughs> instrument for children. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So what I understood was like he really popularized the melodica as a as an instrument, and essentially like the melodica in Jamaica was what the recorder is to white suburbia in the U.S. <laughs> in terms of right. like... That's how people learn. When you're a baby, right. a little youngin. And you can take it everywhere. In school, you take your little $15 recorder and learn how to play hot cross buns. But in Jamaica, they're doing that on a melodica. Yeah. And <laughs> the I think he was like a quiet and strange figure as mm-hmm. well. So the sounds that you get out of there, since it's a forced wind instrument, yeah. you know, it's reminiscent of the accordion. Because that's a forced wind instrument, right? And so it's keys, but the sound of that reed <coughs> kind of it only gets produced forced air it. thing. So a lot of where he goes with melodies kind of take you to Eastern Europe, yeah, accidentally, yeah, just because the overlap and the instrumentation of that, yeah, uh, it's really strange, huh? How did you come to be right? So the the story. Um, and I think you've probably had this story before on your podcast. When you say, it's let's, let's, let's do story. a song <laughs> uh, that you have a strong memory associated yes. with. Yeah. The memory specifically that I think you've probably heard before and, yeah. and, and have yourself yeah. is riding in the back of your mom and dad's car uh-huh. at about eight years old, looking out the window yeah. on a road trip with nothing in the world to do but think about this music and soak it in. Right. So I'll get us there in a second. But basically, <clears throat> my folks, you know... They're, uh, they're both born in 51, so uh, they're real, like, class of Woodstock, class of Beatles, class yeah. of, you know, they were 
19 years old in 1969. So um, did they go to any like legendary shows? Not legendary shows, but their record collection is like mm, to die for. Phenomenal. It's like complete yeah. Neil Young, complete Led Zeppelin. Yes. All the greats. And um, that was my dad's world. And then somewhere in the early 80s, he just like dropped rock, didn't touch his records again and became a full blown reggae junkie <laughs> so i think the way it started was like saturday mornings on our radio station on our like local kgsr like university radio station there was like a really good kind of saturday morning roots show <laughs> and he started listening to that and he also had you know reel to reel and cassette would start to record things something comes on it's good you get the second half of the song yeah something else comes on and then the dj starts to talk over it and you just you play around taping the radio until eventually you've got like 45 and 90 minute tapes of like just solid cuts. And I think for a lot of like Western American white people, like reggae might start and end around Bob Marley, maybe Peter Tosh, a couple of big heavier legends, headliners. My dad just kept going deeper and deeper. And there were all these songs in the car. Whenever we drove on road trips, whenever we went camping, whenever we went to the beach, it was all reggae. And it was discovery for the whole family, right? Like Hmm. we were all just checking out his mixtapes of all this random stuff Who's Barrington Levy? Who's Gregory Isaacs? Uh, who are these people? And what? And there's so much of it from the 70s. And it's about 10 years later. It's like 85. And I'm eight. And my real connection with my parents and, and musical discovery is reggae. Now, within that world, every 20th song that would come up on the radio or on his, one of his mixes would be these dub songs with a guy playing this weird flute sounding thing. <laughs> and I really gravitated to that. that. And yeah. my sister, mom and dad would be in the car going like, maybe change this song. There's no words. <laughs> it's weird. It's yeah. not like a feel good song like Bob Marley. Because you're obviously not smoking weed and getting high. So you're like, no, <laughs> that's not all reggae's for Harrison. I know, I know. I know. Um, but <clears throat> you know, my weird musical mind, I think, gravitates towards instrumentals. Yeah. I'm not a big words per- person, and I think you'll see that in all three of these songs. Yeah. Um, it gravitates towards rhythm, and it gravitates towards weird, trippy sounds. But what I hear in the melody on this, I don't know, when you're, when you're listening to it, yeah. what do you kind of visualize, or emotionally, what do you feel? Well, it's interesting, because like when I, when I think of melodica, <laughs> I think of like, a, there's an At The Drive-In song where he plays the melodica, uh, is it Enfilade? I, I honestly can't remember which song it is, but like, and and like, I just remember watching YouTube videos in high school of, at the drive-in, like where he'd perform, uh, Cedric would perform with the melodica. Um, and so like, I associate that sound to that. So when I hear melodica in any pop music, I just gravitate towards like my feelings towards at the drive-in, um, which is completely unrelated and doesn't really matter. It's an association. Uh, I, like you, I'm also not a huge lyrics person. I talk about that a lot in past episodes. Mm. Um, so I'm very much like, I don't need words to bring me into a mood. And when I hear that, like, I would say reggae and dub music is a genre that I have very limited appreciation and knowledge of. Um, and, you know, I, I've gone through like very brief windows where I've tried to like get into it and it's just never really clicked for me. Um, and so I'm always really like, I, one of the things I love about doing these is like it, I need that context to like bring me into something. So this is a great exercise to oh, potentially if, like if you and a handful of your things. listeners can get into a, an Augustus Pablo tear, yeah, my work is done. Happen. It could happen. Well, I was reading that like King Tubby's um, Rockers Uptown 
great record. It's like supposedly like the definition of dub. It's a good record. Um, uh, so you can borrow gonna, it if you want the my, vinyl. Yeah, actually, I might have to take you up on that. Uh, no, I, I'll just buy it. Like, this, it's a good it, one. It's a record that I could do. It's a good one, but um, it doesn't have as many melodica solos. So for oh, me, at least, the okay. the emotion that when I hear this, and I'm back in the car, <clears throat> eight years old, looking out the window, driving through some forests. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like a mix of like innocence hmm. and like a little bit of sadness. Yeah. But like sweet, self comforting, self. I can't describe it. It's like yeah. being in a small, simple world where it's all right to have feelings, but they're your own and they're private. Right. And the melody line on this tiny instrument of like a few notes tells me that every time I listen to this. Yeah. And it takes me back to that child state, which I think huh. it, it is a connection with my parents because I think they gave me the space to have that emotion. And like same way I'm a weird grown up, I was a weird kid and yeah. I couldn't really quite touch my feelings and I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. But this song always makes me feel better. And it doesn't make me feel better with just like a pure joy right. or a pure comfort. There's sadness in it. And awkwardness. Hmm. And you know, the background sounds in dub, they're kind of sinister. Like yeah, there's the like bass, a ghostly reverb to it. sounds like somebody's yeah. dropping an anvil right. and the hissing of the yeah. of the snares and everything. But that big melody line is just like it's peaceful and it's spiritual and it's knowing and it yeah. It makes me feel better in a way that's like not resolved or simple. Yeah. I would say like my friend Colin, um, he's a he he had a really big dub phase uh we we became best friends in college and he listened to a lot of dub music um dub reggae and then more like the modern day like dub electronic type stuff um he got really into like grime music which has a lot of dub influence Mm -hmm. into it things like that and you know i mean like i appreciated that it meant a lot for him but i never really got into it but i will say like when i listen to dub music and i'm locked into it it's very much like a vibe uh, and a coasting that you can like just go to a place when you hear it and lock in and like have some inner feelings and dialogues with it that I appreciate. If you like to make like art, thing, it's really it's great to paint just, to. It's great yeah, to draw yeah, to. Yeah. It's great to write to. If you yeah. like to do projects around the house, you know, it's not distracting, mm-hmm. but it's completely like moody and vibey. Right, right. But that's different than what I'm trying to tell you about this song. I think yeah. spend time with the song, okay. throw it on your weekly playlist. Because the melody to me is just so like, I mean, it's like a good jazz song, yeah. You know, where you can listen to a jazz song and you're like, is that sexy or yeah. is it angry or is it? And you sad? really think it's because the the connection, like his use of the melodica, is is what the the instrument is innocent, yeah. And the background behind it is not, yeah. Um, and then his choices hmm. in in the improv are, uh, I don't know, they're just they're not all like major chord happiness, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's good. You have to be probably one of like 137 white kids that grew up on dub music through their parents. <laughs> you know, my parents are eight. my parents are great, and they have great <laughs> musical tastes, yeah. and they have great. Uh, they gave us a lot of freedom. Yeah, and um, yeah. yeah. What was the first uh, record that you brought to your parents, and they were terrified and not supportive of? You know, I don't know if it bugged them, especially like in middle school, I was really into heavy metal yeah. and a lot of the Satan themes in there. I yeah. think they were like, you'll figure it out. You'll, yeah. Like you'll figure it out that it's kind of just marketing. They supported that you explored. You, yeah. you enjoy it because it's scary. Yeah. Um, but I know that like when rap started getting big and like really profanity laced, like yeah. gangster rap, they were like, 
I, we think you'll realize that's not very good music. We're not about that. It's just not very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, different worlds, different interpretations. Right. Yeah, very cool. Should we go to the next one? Yeah. All right. So this one is a song called Refractions in the Plastic Pulse by Stereolab. And I'm about to play it. And I can tell you that as I'm speaking this out loud, it's pre-editing. And I'm undecided as to whether or not I would play the entire song on the final recording of the episode or cut it down to the specific segment that you're talking through. I'll figure that out later because I like to maintain the integrity of the podcast where we typically listen to the full songs. And the first time that we did this, it was a nine-minute song, the longest song that I did this with another guest, and I played it the whole way through. I know that's really obnoxious to everybody listening right now. This song is like 19 minutes, which is in, incredibly punishing. Um, if, and the if other one was nine? Was the other one Maggot one Brain? Nine. Uh, Maggot Brain is, is one of those, but it wasn't that one. I would think it was like a metal song. From, okay. Because uh, Maggot Brain is like a masterpiece. Maggot, you're yeah, you're you allowed to listen to that, that from beginning course, to end. Of course. Um, of course. And, and this one's really good, but uh, let's, let's do it. I just want to... Let's do be, it. be clear we'll that I'm talking about a certain part. Yeah, so we'll pro- I'll probably edit it, but just know that this was a dialogue that I had in that process to figure out what to do. So here we go. This is uh, from Stereolab.
All right. I think I decided as we were listening to that that I will replicate the experience that we had taping, which I probably should have said before we started into it because then people listening are like, oh, fuck, is he about to play a 19-minute song? Maybe you can cut out some of that waffle before. <laughs> no, fuck it. I like, I like okay. to keep it raw. Okay. This is, you know, there's no secrets behind how we make this. In the time that we've made up for by cutting out some of the song, yes. Harrison has spoken about cutting out some of the song. <laughs> this is fair. Uh, so we basically played the third sequence um, in what's a 17-minute song. We started at about the 4-minute mark, 4.30-minute mark. And I went to about the eight minute mark. You could kind of hear the beginning and the end. There's like the kind of mute uh, clicking of the um, synth noises there, the signals, the transition, I'm assuming. Um, but I would really encourage everyone to listen to go and hear the full track because I know that when I was like sitting here listening to it, there's like that context that I feel like you're missing of like, what did we oh, have definitely. to do to get there? And That's, then yeah. where are we going once we've gone? No, it's, it's a beautiful piece. Yeah. But, um, and, and we'll get into why this little passage moves me so much. But, um, yeah. you know, also when this was on the, the record player, I guess it was the CD player yes. in, in 97. Right. Um, I don't think I knew that it was all one song. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it would be playing. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's and then it would get to that seven, part. Yeah. And I'd be like, I love that part. <laughs> and then later in life. I learned that it was all yeah, on track, and I was oh, like, wow, that's wow. A so lot. how do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what kind of a band is this? Right. Um, man, it's cool. So Stereolab, this is the only artist that I knew that you okay. could select it. Um, and Stereolab, for me, has always been one of those artists that it's like, I know I'm supposed to like them. I know that I'm supposed to value them, but, like, I miss the window in terms of connecting They've, they've with been them. documented a lot after the fact, right? Yeah. So, and they, they kept making music into, like, the 2000s. Right. But somewhere in the world of, like, pitchfork-type journalism and what yeah. people think is hip, right. it suddenly became this really important thing. But I assure you, since my story about it is from 97, yeah. we thought it was pretty underground at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's like that historian's band that, like, everybody right. knows and no one actually knows. <laughs> And it's up to you whether you like it. I mean, yeah, I, I love it. I yeah, mean, I genuinely yeah. do like it. I think they, yeah, it's great. It's hard to like remove yourself from the headness that they were. Mm -hmm. Like, they're one of the earliest bands to be labeled like post rock, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And when I think of post rock, I think of like explosions in the sky. I don't think yeah. of this like French pop dance, motor tick. They're pretty rock. singular, like, yeah. You can't, you really can't bucket Stereolab, which is yeah. probably one of the reasons why they are underappreciated because they don't mean any one thing. Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like I've, I've worked to appreciate them more. Um, I have a couple of their records and they got some really good stuff, but I still don't have the connection to them yet um, that I feel like I should. Right. Although I did see them at Mohawk when they played here for their like reunion tour and they're good live and it was phenomenal they're great um, yeah. I really enjoyed it it's a very special night so um, tell me more about but it yeah, sounds like you were so, an OG in 97 well um, just to kind of tie off on uh, you know the circumstances of this record it's not their first but it's like three or four albums in right and so Although it seemed underground at the time, it wasn't like hard to find or a complete like un undiscovered thing. Yeah, like they weren't on MTV and they weren't marketed in the way that a lot of stuff was marketed at the time. Yeah. Um, so the way this came to me from a discovery experience was my girlfriend um, at the time, who's my wife now, Victoria, who's like my favorite person, and I I look up to her so much, and I think about her all the time. It's like gotten worse instead of better. <laughs> Twenty <laughs> twenty two years later, I'm like. 
more obsessed with her than I was in 1997. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's just like a very admirable person and she's very cool. Yeah. So to give you some context on that, you know, I was in college at the time. Uh, you know, she and I are whatever, born in 77, so 97 were 20. And uh, we started dating, but I was like four hours away going to school in the country. Okay. And she was going to school in Philadelphia mm. um, in a really urban setting. And, um, you know, had moved away from her parents and had like the cool downtown apartment and had just like a cool life, which was so weird to me. Yeah. Like my, my, uh, my college life was cheesy in the sense that like, there weren't really like bars to go to. There wasn't really like stuff right. to do at night. Like campus life is you the can't, extent there's of campus all life. life. And there's like going to a person's house to drink and stuff. Yeah. And, and there's like, you, know, you can be interested in things and you can um, <clears throat> get outside. But like at 20 years old to be like allowed illegally into bars because you're in such a city that they're not carding people. Yeah. And that, like to go out and see <laughs> bands and to kind of interact with other uh, socioeconomic spheres and races yeah. and, and living in an apartment, not because it's part of college life, but because like you got to survive. Like it's a city. Yeah. You can walk down the street and get coffee or Thai food. These were all like brand new to me. Right. So we started long distance dating four hours away and my visits to her, like besides just admiring her as the coolest person in the world, were also just admiring her urban life mm. and the pieces of that that were just like new for me and different to me. And she and I are both from the suburbs of Philly and it gets like demonized. Same probably for you growing up outside of Houston. Yeah. You know, all these families that moved to those communities a long time ago yeah. before cities got cool again right. would have demonized the city in the 90s. And they would have yeah. said like, who lives down there? That's awful. It's the yeah. white flight You'll stuff. get killed, yeah. right? Um, and and the Vicky just like bucked that trend and so I guess a lot of people from our school either ended up moving further away or just saying like my parents are wrong downtown is Deep the brand. center of the arts it's the yeah. center of diversity and it's the right. center of like experiencing life in a, in a compact accessible way right um she figured all that out at like 19 <laughs> and so yeah. that's why I looked up to her just so <laughs> yeah. much and just my early days of like going over her that's house surprised and, me about her by the way yeah she's pretty cool um my early days of trying to get her to like me and, and trying to get her to, you know, go out with me and stuff. Yeah. This was a CD yeah. in, in her house. And I was like, what is this? Like, even now, what is it? But at the time, it was like, okay, we're right in the late 90s where a lot of rock bands are just touching on electronics, but they don't know quite what they're doing. And if you're in the city and if you're going out to parties at night, you totally know that jungle and drum and bass and true electronic mm -hmm. music mm -hmm. is like cresting yes. in like San Francisco and London but even in Philly and New York, we didn't quite know what it was or why it's cool or what's going on. Yeah. And then even in the mainstream, you saw bands like, I don't know, Radiohead and U2 kind of drop their instruments and get really interested in that. It's was, it was like clearly like the cool kids yeah. thing for, for rock. And then this band is like a combination of, wow, like 50s lounge music, French jazz. And this is the record where they shift from guitars a bit to more of a beats thing. Yeah. And then this track specifically, back to my music geekery, um, something I was talking about during the break is that this track is in five fifths. <laughs> so it's the only song like in the world that's in five fifths. In the world? No. Like, <clears> surely, <throat> I mean, like surely there's like some tool B side out there. <laughs> maybe. Um, and what that does to the brain, I think, because we're so trained in fours, mm -hmm. um, is it leaves it like open ended and spinning. So if you go back and mm. listen to it, like there's a there's a You're part like off balance there's a way for your brain to keep up, but there's yeah. also this like extra piece on yeah. everything. And if you just, actually like tap on the table, then you realize oh, there's oh, a little you more. Can't oh, there's a little more. Do, right? There's a little more. <laughs> and then the words that she's saying in French are something to the extent of like, 
that which is open <clears throat> is better than that which is closed. And she repeats it during this section a lot, and she just talks about open and closed. But um, in the other pieces of the 17-minute adventure, she also talks about the concepts of victory and profit. Um, and Stereolab is like the super Marxist band, and they're super anti-capitalism. Um, yeah. They're anti-urban, like, uh, you know, um, modernism and, you know, uh, obsession with uh, electronic economy and all these things that were changing in the 90s. And they were, right. they were a little staunch and they're just definitely a little academic and yeah, you know, yeah. kind of idealistic. But, but still very interesting and had an opinion. It was counterculture. Yeah. But back to me sitting outside my girlfriend's apartment in the super cool city watching the super cool city go by. If you listen to this album, Dots and Loops, the entire thing sounds like the sound of a bustling, never stopping, mm. wide open, like urban experience. Mm. And it's beeping and it's clicking and everything's like flying by at top speeds. And you can only appreciate it if you're the student sitting in the cafe who's out of it. Yeah. Right. If you're the guy with the, biz, the the briefcase who's actually walking into the office every day, you don't appreciate that you're just like a little dot in this machine. And you certainly don't appreciate that the city's moving faster than um, any of our interests. Yeah. Um, but as the bummed out college kid sitting there watching it, I really related to this record. Um, and again, it's like that is such a city attitude. It's such a like a hipster thing that yeah. my wife was into. And like it really stuck with me. So it's huh. like this, it's this like super heady piece of music. You can academic it all day. Yeah. But visually, it feels like like a city. Yeah. It's like a visiting kid from a country school, like in the middle of Philly, in like a university yeah. part of town. Um, just pretty much worshiping my girlfriend and her CD collection. Right. Yeah. I mean, as one does, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that's such like an iconic like '90s memory. I feel like. I wonder if people still have versions of that today, because it's so much easier to get educated about music and culture and things like that, right? Yeah. I just wonder if like uh, those those relationships and connections still form in that way. Right, and at the risk of. Uh, you know, sounding old and, and talking about a big change that happened in our generation. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> are cities cool anymore? Because if everybody wants to live downtown right now mm -hmm. and the forces of capitalism are well aware, so they're building us condos and coffee shops and mm -hmm. pretty sterile like brewery experiences and restaurant experiences, are you ever really going to discover a place that's right on its way from changing mm -hmm. from like working class to like student and artist class. Yeah. Because it jumps so many of those steps right yeah. now. It just turns like immediately into uh, kind of a playland for the rich. Right. Um, and that's not a terrible thing. Like there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. But I think in terms of young people like discovering what parts of art they want to enjoy. Yeah. yeah. They might have to find it another way. Right. Or they might be into something I don't even know about. Yeah, who knows? I mean, there's like an intentionality that comes with things, but also sometimes shit just happens. It doesn't really matter how or why. You right. just manage to connect to it as right. you go from there. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I love that song. Definitely check out that record a lot. You can go do the 17-minute version if you want. Highly recommend. It's very good. I did listen to the full thing before you came over. So Let's go to the next song. You ready? Okay. All right, so the next one is um, another band I hadn't heard of. Uh, the band is called Doves, and the song is called Rise. Here we go. Rise. 
All right, that was Rise by Doves. Song's got a vibe. It has a vibe, and man. You were embarrassed about a word choice earlier. I don't feel good saying that that song has a vibe. It just doesn't sound like me. Uh, no, I use vibe all the time. There's something it literally, ha- it vibrates. It has a vibration. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all about the vibes, man. <laughs> now it sounds bad. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, we were, we were talking about the song. I mentioned how I, I wasn't familiar with the band. So I did the research, and I really liked a story about kind of the origin of the band, and I kind of like piqued interest in myself, uh, which is that essentially, so Doves is a group of, I think, a twin brother, set of twin brothers, and then maybe one other person that's regular, then another touring musician or, or whatnot. Um, and I think that like they, some of the guys they met at the Hacienda uh, in Manchester, which I'm familiar with from 24 Hour Party People, one of the greatest music documentaries slash film. It's not actually, it's a fictionalized version of Factory Records and what happened, you know, with uh, Joy Division to New Order to Happy Mondays and this whole scene of music that I didn't know growing up with and then fell in love with through the film. And the Hacienda was like a, big part of that story that um you know i went on to learn about all these things and so many bands are formed from that manchester scene so to find out that this band like kind of met through the hacienda it's really exciting but then the sad part of that story is they they formed a band um meeting there it's called sub sub um they spent a lot of time recording a record uh as kind of like a dance band sound genre type of thing right uh, unfortunately, the studio actually burned down before they had the chance to release, and so they lost a lot of what they were working on. And according to the research that I have done, it sounds like um, essentially they were left with this kind of like, you know, epic choice of like, do we re record? Do we continue on? Or do we take this as a chance? And the quote was, you know, uh, do we throw in the towel or do we carry on? Essentially, they said, we got to do something, changing the band name, changing the genre. They moved from this kind of like dance vibe to a rock vibe. Uh, and then they became the Doves. Uh, and, or not the, there's not, there's not the, it's just Doves. Um, and came out with this. And this is a really beautiful song. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Can't wait to listen to more of their music. Um, but it just really like, that story uh, resonates in that sense of, you know, in a time of like this disastrous event, what do you do? What choices do you have? And, you know, being somebody that loves a lot of different types of music and also has, you know, played in different bands and whatnot, like something I always think about is it's like, how do you pick the sound that you want? Right. And the previous band, Stereo Lab, is a really good example of somebody that really refused to ever pick an actual sound and uh-huh. just kind of made their own version of it. Right. And I'm not like a songwriter or creative enough to write my own stuff, so I've never actually had the ability to make that choice. But it's something I think about a lot in the sense of if I did have that creative impulse, how would I pick what to play and sound like when I have so many different things that I enjoy? What's true to myself? What's creative? And like that's such an impossible choice for... I would think for a lot of artists, um, and so it's such an inter- like fascinating story and for them, uh, and I can't help but like try to imagine what they were going through and that that experience. So really intrigued about the band, the music, and then now, of course, your connection to it. And I think you're going to enjoy what you find, and I think it might be because of that background, you know. Mm-hmm. So 
they were already accomplished electronica people. And so they probably already had a sense of ambience and tempo mm. and dynamics and um, when to switch it up and just the groove that makes your heartbeat go. Yeah. They move it back over to rock at a time a few years after the thing we were just describing during Stereo Lab 1997, which was it was trendy for rock bands to put a sequencer inside their songs. Yes. Right. So as Radiohead is kind of pulling us over there that way, this electronica band says like, no, let's go back to like drum space. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of orchestral in this too. Yeah. And uh, it's very well produced. It's kind of cinematic. All the their place. stuff is yeah. very cinematic. I think you'll, I think you'll really like it. Yeah. And again, for, for guys that aren't too hung up on lyrics, I mean, the chorus of this just sounds like one big note. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I'll get into my story, but um, yeah, I, I, I learned that much later too. Yeah. So I was like, oh, they have some good songs. They have some good stuff. And I started really liking their albums. And then I found out that and I was like, whoa, I wonder if that's why they're good at rock. And I wonder that's why they sound hmm. really different for rock, mm-hmm. right? Like they didn't grow up learning, you know, Louie Louie and Twist and Shout. <laughs> um, they grew up learning beats and then took, yeah. it, took it into this. So yeah. it's kind of If cool. they had been in Jamaica, they would have learned it on melodica. That's but, right. That's yeah. exactly and right. what could have been. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so... Another me and Vicky story, um, but also just uh, kind of tapped into the, the the feeling of freedom, which is a little bit related to the first song, mm. maybe all three, um, when she and I lived in the UK. So right after we got married, about a week after we got married, we moved to to England. Yeah. And we lived there for three and a half years. What's, and, what city? What part? Uh, we were in a place called Royal Leamington Spa. Okay. The nearest tourist reference is Shakespeare's house. In, uh, in Stratford-upon-Avon. Awesome. And in a minute, I'll give you some Google map directions um, <laughs> that I think are related to the story, yeah. uh, if your listeners care enough. Yeah. Um, because um, basically, in those three and a half years, we're, we're somewhat out in the country. Nearest big city is Birmingham. Um, you're like 90 miles north of London. Right. Um, one of our favorite things to do was go driving around in the country. We had a Mini Cooper. Awesome. And, uh, you know, most people's like living abroad experience, if they're just in the big capital city, they don't really see the rest of the country. Right. right? How many Brits do you think have existed in New York or or San Francisco for 10 years and really haven't seen America? Yeah. Um, So same thing in the UK. We had the opportunity to really kind of live out there. And um, this album somehow became like my favorite one in the car. And this song was Hmm. such a big deal to me. There are several songs of theirs that really caught me. And so the memory is us like driving through the rolling countryside uh, in like, you know, Oxfordshire uh, or Warwickshire. Um, and these are the same hills and the same sort of scenery that inspired like J.R.R. Tolkien hmm. and Led Zeppelin and uh, Aleister Crowley and, uh, you know, like... Black Sabbath, yeah. um, it, it's, it's a very psychedelic landscape and it's very ancient and, and it's like very um, emotional. Yeah. And Brits take it for granted the same way you probably take the Texas desert for granted. Right. Um, it, they're just like, okay, yeah, that's, that's out there in the country. I suppose you could drive around all day Sunday and have lunch at a pub, but you're wasting your Sunday. Um, whereas for me and Vicky, it was like heaven and we could do it every weekend Yeah. Um, in the Mini Cooper with songs like this playing. So yeah. when you hear the freedom in this song and the, the sort of spaciness, yeah. I just picture myself driving up over hills in yeah. this cool little sports car um, with like the light and the, the wind and the rain and all yeah. that stuff. Um, so so the, the map, if you want to map it, is to, if you find Stratford-on-Avon, Okay. 
and you do a Google directions to places like Stowe on the Wald, uh, Lower Slaughter, Broadway, uh, Winchcombe, uh, Cheltenham, Sirenchester, you're basically in an area called the Cotswolds, which is like the Fredericksburg Hill Country west of Austin, yeah. uh, you know, relative to, <laughs> right, the, to the right. Midlands of England. The romanticism of getting out, yeah. Mm-hmm. Super cute little villages with super cute little B&Bs and pubs everywhere where you can stop in a village, get a nice pie or a nice, like, sausage, um, and just tap into history. But I think the freedom in this song, the freedom in that one-note chorus, that kind of build yeah. orchestral swell, my heart bursting open, uh, is actually the freedom of living abroad. So yeah. it was me and my wife uh-huh. against the world with no friends living in a foreign country for the first three years of our marriage. And um, it's such a high for me. Yeah. I think it's heartbreaking because that was you know 15 years ago. Yeah. It's pretty hard to put your finger on what might have been the best year of your life. Right. And then every year that's gone by since to just be kind of like, well, I can always hope, right. but it really looks like 2005 was the peak. <laughs> yeah, it's like you reflect back. And it's this transition to the looking forward to the past versus the future. Yeah. And it sucks because I know I should be more positive about the future and I should yeah. be more positive about being in my 40s. But yeah. honestly, like being a 28-year-old newlywed, living abroad, having a cool car and yeah. no one to tell you what to do, right. having a, being in a good spot in your career, having your health and just adventuring every single weekend yeah. and traveling kind of tough to yeah. really get back there right well, like, it's like this combination of freedom and privilege that like marries itself in this perfect moment mm-hmm. um, and danger and, and, complicate, and, yeah. and, and I think the edgier side of freedom which I've dealt with is actually like oblivion like you don't exist anymore and I hear that in this song too yeah. like if you could travel so deeply and have your headphones on so deeply and have that orchestral swell note just yeah. like erase yourself you know, it'd be blissful, but it's also indulgent. Right. A little dangerous. Right. It's fair. So it's interesting. And I think, yeah, this is a cool thing to explore where this will be a longer episode, but that's fine. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, and I, I'm curious your thoughts on this because a theme that comes up in a lot of episodes is a lot of people connect with songs through driving and road trips. And I certainly, like, I mean, I've got an endless list of, things that I tie back to to that moment and I still will occasionally like when a new record comes out from artists that I really love I'll just go drive to San Antonio and back on a Friday night and that's like my night by mm-hmm. myself um, and I connect like there's something about driving that forces you to be present at this activity of being safe and driving but mindlessness of that but you're also not looking at a screen and you're listening to a record, you're singing along, you're observing, you're thinking, you're meditating on it, but you're still connected in that moment to it. That really resonates with a lot of people's memories and connections to the songs. At least that's my theory, right? Um, and I'm curious your thoughts on like, you talk about like the past and reflecting in the future and whatnot. Uh, like in a world with self-driving cars, do we lose that? Scary. I'll throw it in a different direction because I've often said that the real me, the real Frank on the inside is like a 14, 15, 16 year old boy sitting on a bus or a train because I grew up in the city with headphones on. Hmm. So I've always felt that cars are great for appreciating music, partly because you're sort of inside the song and the speakers are on all sides of you. Yes. And also because you're doing that mindless activity. Yes. But I would challenge you to try to have the experience on public transportation. (laughs) 
No, it's it's actually really interesting because it's like I'm I'm from the south and you're from the northeast, yeah. and we don't have public transit here. Like we identify our own self worth through our ability to have a vehicle to take ourselves where we want to go when we want to go. And and the freedom component of of getting in your car can't can't be uh, quite replicated. Yeah. yeah. But if I was so young that I couldn't even drive a car and I could still ride yeah. on a commuter train yeah. or a subway and be on that subway with like rap music blasting in my headphones, right. or, you know, right. Jimi Hendrix or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you can get there on a train. But in a world with smartphones and endless, you know, connectivity through uh, social media, Internet and all that stuff. Now we're sounding like two old guys, but uh, genuinely curious, like. If I were to record Memory Tracks episodes in 25 years, will people still be telling stories about a road trip uh, or being in a car or being on a subway right. and connecting to a record? Like, I mean, I think all three of my stories had an element of being alone with something hmm. or focused on something. Yeah. And as a species, if we can keep an eye on that, find a way to do that. Yeah. I don't really care what it is. There's probably always a space for it because it's certainly a need. Yeah. But... How do we make sure that we don't lose that through the convenience of and just the progress. multi of like yeah. even the device I'd like to listen to this podcast on is also beeping me about other stuff. Yeah. 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 I actually always wonder that about whenever I do post these and for all you crazy people that actually take time to listen to this, thank you. Um, but you know, there's infinite content out there now, more so than ever. You have to be, you know, time is so limited. Like, why choose to listen to what and what do you get out of it? Or why even single screen? Like right. What movie comes out that's good enough to put your phone down? Yeah, it's crazy. It's hard. <laughs> Something we should all think about. Anyways, I didn't mean to get too deep and heady on that um, <coughs> or, uh, you know, trite in that sense. But uh, it's something I think about a lot. And I think, you know, we all have versions of that dialogue inside. Um, but man, this was, this was really fun. It's great. I, I really it. enjoyed talking with you about this and I can't wait to like go deeper with these bands. Uh, and it does yeah. think I can get into the dub stuff. I'm going to need some, some guidance. I'll help. So yeah, you got to make me a mixtape. No problem. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for doing it. Yeah. And, thank you. Uh, until next time, this is memory tracks. Take care. <laughs>